everybody. Welcome to the All Sooners podcast. January 17th. Freezing cold outside. It's a Wednesday, so we got that going for us. And uh, I'm told the cold is breaking today. My pipes hopefully don't break today. They've been frozen for four days. We haven't had water in the kitchen for four days, Ryan. Uh, not, not good. No, not the best. Praying that uh, the water, the ice just goes away and doesn't expand and burst and crack my pipes and flood my new kitchen and all that good stuff. That would not be good. We just got done with the summer of Hoove renovations. The place is sweet. Got to see it up there for the Tulsa trip a wee, wee long time ago. I don't want you to have to do more renovations, boss. The number of no. texts are just like, I'm waiting on a contractor. I'll be out of pocket. I'm like, no, you can't. You're not allowed. Not permitted. I have to nap, boss. Yeah. That was before you got your morning radio job. Anyway, we roll along on the All Sooners podcast. It is episode 200. And 34. That's Ryan Chapman. He's in Moore. I'm John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. And Randall Sweet is back this week. He's going to join us in segment three. Um, so what do you think is going to happen this week, Ryan? Uh, two weeks ago, we ended the podcast, and five minutes later, Ted Roof was fired. Last week, we ended the podcast, and five minutes later, Nick Saban retired. What do you think is going to happen next? Uh, well, would you would you like what I would like to happen next? It's got to be major. It's got to be big. Well, I I would imagine the most likely thing on the table is probably that Jim Harbaugh takes the Los Angeles Chargers job. Like that that probably, as far as college football goes, uh, probably the biggest thing on the docket. That would be big. That would be big. National championship coach takes pro job. Um, we've seen it before. <laughs> and eventually he came back and won six more national titles. Anyway, we're talking about Nick Saban. Obviously, the joke around here is, well, he saw Oklahoma coming to the SEC, so he's running for the high hills. He's uh, He thought he'd rather retire than have to face the Sooners every week, right? Or not every week, every year. Uh, sure. Yeah, if you believe that narrative, go ahead. But then today, not today, I, it was yesterday, I think, um, another uh, big figure in the Southeastern Conference gets the hell out. Ross Bjork, the athletic director at Texas A&M, said, Oh, you and Texas? I don't want no part of that. I'm going to Ohio State. Just kidding. Can we do a quick sidebar? This isn't on the rundown. What is Ohio State doing? Ross Bjork has made awful hire after awful hire after awful hire at both Ole Miss and a and Is it because he can, like, poach a big name, even though it doesn't work out? He got Jimbo to leave Florida State. I don't get it, but uh, I think everyone in Michigan, if you're worried about Jim Harbaugh, at least know that uh, the athletics of Ohio State are in safe, idiotic hands with Ross Bjork. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand the appeal either. When I saw that, I was like, "Isn't that the guy from Texas A&M?" The yeah. So we joke because we kid because we love, um, we love sports, we love college football, and. Uh, we love talking about the Sooners on the All Sooners podcast. So let's do that, Ryan. Let's shift over away from more of a national feel to uh, to localize this thing. Um, the week began with Oklahoma finally, uh, 10 days later, 10 days is it, um, hiring formally Zach Alley as their new defensive coordinator. Number one, Ryan, question. You like Zach Alley, I think. Number two, what the hell took so long? What were they waiting for? Yeah, I, I, 
do agree with the Zach Alley uh, enjoying to see what he's going to bring to the table. Um, we've talked about it on two podcasts now, so I don't really want to retread over. But yeah. if you missed it, Brent Venables' protege, Venables wants to do less with the defense. Bring a guy that only knows your defense. Boom. Um, there you have it. But I, I, I truly think we kind of talked about it. It's a situation where typically during coaching searches, you can kind of walk and chew gum at the same time. So, for instance, Joe Gstiglione. Lincoln Riley leaves. He knows he wants to interview Brent Venables. So what does he do? He tells anyone that's doing the background check and all the lawyers that do all the background stuff. I'm going to go interview Brent Venables. While I do that, can you start the process of a background check and just double check on everything, all that stuff. Same with whoever else that Joe Ciglione wanted to hire. Well, the process for Ali and Roof was, was kind of backwards, right? That Brent Venables knew clearly by the timeline of, of it being solved four hours later, he knew I want to make this move. I think this is the move I'd like to make. Now I just need to dismiss Ted roof, which he has found a new gig. We'll talk about that here in a second. And one of those things where I truly just think it was a, a matter of the university. And, and again, I don't know, but I wonder Zach Alley hasn't had to have a major big time university background check because he, he wasn't really like a defensive coordinator at Clemson. So are you leaning on the Boise State due diligence for just a linebacker coach and then the uh, Louisiana Monroe and Jacksonville State due diligence? Or did OU want to say, let's just triple check and beef up and, and, and do this the right way? There is no rush. He was already a Norman all that. So I, I think it was probably more akin to that just as far as, again, not football stuff, not football decisions, just the things you have to do to appease the lawyers who, who are on retainer. Yeah, yeah I, think, uh, I think Brent um... – came out of the Alamo Bowl and said, this is just me guessing, maybe he'll give a press conference soon and shed some light on his thought process. But I think he came out of the Alamo Bowl and said, oof, boy, we really need some work on the defense. Um, you know who could do a really good job is Zach over at J-State, Jack's State. I think I'd like to bring him in. Hey, Zach, what do you think about uh, coming in as, uh, you know, kind of take over? Maybe linebackers, what do you think about defensive coordinator? What do you think about co-defensive coordinator, Zach? I, I think I'd like to hire you as co-defensive coordinator, which is, of course, just what OU needs is another co-defensive coordinator, right? Was that four now? Well, it was three. They just replaced Roof <laughs> slash Bates slash Valai with Alley slash Bates slash Valai slash Venables. Um, technically, yeah, Venables is the fourth one. Is, is the <laughs> to, so he's not doesn't have the title, but he doesn't need the title. He's head coach. I think he went and got Zach Alley and said, hey, man, I'm going to hire you. I can hire whoever I want. I'm the head coach. Um, now, how do we do this? <laughs> I think it took a few days and word leaked out and you know, took a week or so before OU, the HR people and the lawyers and everybody did their background checks and Joe Castiglione's team, uh, his uh, SEAL Team 6 that he uses to, to vet these guys, <laughs> Uh, they went deep and they found, yeah, there's nothing wrong. So OU announced the hire um, as expected. Um, I think he's going to work out. I've said it before, you know, a young defensive guy. He's done put up some impressive numbers. Here's some numbers that I came out with. Um, and this is nothing like earth shattering or electric or uh, analytical or anything like that. It's just a couple of numbers in two years under Ted Roof and Brent Venables as defensive coordinators. Um, Oklahoma in under Alex Grinch with Lincoln Riley as the head coach was 76th in the nation in total defense and 60th in points allowed. Then they leave. Venables and Roof come in. 
and they go from 76th to 121st in the nation in total defense, from 60th in points allowed to 98th. That was year one. And then year two, after two years, they're back down to 72nd, so an improvement over the first year, and 46th. So 72nd total defense, 46th in points allowed. Those are the two big metrics, right? Those are the two that's easy for everybody to follow. 76th to 72nd after two years. From 60th to 46th after two years. Vemble said, this isn't working. We have not made any progress. Now, they obviously have made a lot of progress, but you can't just attach year one and say, that's where we're, that's our starting point. You have to go back to before they got there and see where they were before Venables and those guys even got there. And frankly, they didn't improve very much in two years. So that, to me, boils down the the, the real crux of why Venables made this move. And, and I think that it was probably, um, and again, this would be a truth serum moment. I doubt that Brett Venables would say this, but it was probably reinforced by uh, stuff we talked about coming out of the Alamo Bowl, right? You, you have a, a true freshman quarterback making his first start. Oh, you got the ball back with timeouts and a chance right before halftime to march down the field and run a two-minute drill. And suddenly coming out of the timeout, um, Jack Starnold burns a timeout. I- I'm sure that Brent Venables, the defensive mind, the guy that's been around football for 30-plus years a- as just a coach, is telling himself, hey, man, if we got to go 60 yards or 65 yards, the timeout is more important than the five yards uh, that-, that we lost for a delay of game, right? Or... I'm sure that Brett Venables, the head coach, would have liked to be on his coach's butts and been like, hello, we must play the football 15 seconds, game management stuff, right? And so if he has someone he trusts to say, go over there, handle all the adjustments, you do that, I'm going to be the guy, especially in a weird way, you're trading experience for experience. Uh, You have Seth Luttrell, who's a more experienced player. offensive coordinator just in terms of years than Jeff Levy, obviously a former head coach, gets the big picture stuff. But now you're going to have a first-year starter at quarterback as opposed to Dylan Gabriel, who, who had been there, done that, got the T-shirt multiple times through college football. Uh, that requires just an extra watchful eye. Seth Luttrell might be worried about charting out the next drive. Brett Venables needs to be out there like, Jackson, go. Jackson, go. Stuff like that. And, and you have to hand that off. So before we even talk about any any defensive improvement, that would be a team improvement right there. If Britt Venables, even if you got the exact same result defensively, but he's able to manage stuff, then then that's going to be huge. And we saw the margin for error was pretty thin this year. You look at the schedule next year, it's going to be even smaller. Uh, think what OU's doing in Big 12 basketball right now, a dogfight every week. That's what Oklahoma's schedule early wise is uh, projecting when you just look at this year's final college football playoff rankings, plus what everyone's doing in the portal. All that stuff. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Um, And uh, on Ted Roof, we'll finish with this. Uh, He was hired today, officially, formally, by UCF. He's going to stay in the Big 12. He's going to go back to work for Gus Malzahn. They won a national championship together back in 2010. Uh, Those two and Cam Newton uh, at Auburn won a national title. So, you know, good times will roll, I'm sure, in Orlando. Uh, but yeah, Ted Roof going to stay a defensive coordinator and that's why he didn't want to take a GA job or not a GA, but a analyst job, you know, a demotion at Oklahoma. I'm sure he loves Brent. I'm sure he loves OU. Um, but clearly if you look at his resume, he's a guy that's not going to stick around very long. He's a guy that's not going to say, this is the school that I want to coach at. Right. He's uh, been at his alma mater twice for like two, three years. So, so uh, just in general, Good for him. Everybody loves Ted Roof. Everybody's happy about um, the man getting a job 
um, and I'm sure he'll do well at UCF. He was there before, like I said, uh, 2011 at UCF. So not 2011. So if I'm if my numbers are right, my memory is right. 2010 at uh, at Auburn, and I think 2011 at UCF. I think. I I just think look, let's put the pieces together. Yeah, that's right. 2010 at Auburn, 2011 at UCF with Malzahn. Gus Boss. Not not with Malzahn. With Malzahn and then with who was the coach at UCF in 2011? I can't even remember. Great. That's a great question. I was in I think I was a sophomore in high school at that time. So I was I'm going to be honest, I was not super locked into the UCF coaching. It was, uh, it was George O'Leary. I was right. They went 5 and go. 7 that year. So good for Ted Roof. I just it, put the pieces together. Ready? Gus Malzahn, Ted Roof, using a bunch of NIL to get an SEC transfer quarterback, allegedly. Oh, what's not to let? You're getting the whole band back together. Good vibes. Uh, now, Cam Newton and KJ Jefferson are two different guys, but uh, they both got big paydays to go to their new spots, allegedly. That's not even uh, – that's so stupid anymore, isn't it? I mean – we we talk about we go back to ten to two thousand ten, and we say Cam Newton, his dad was shopping him around, and the the going the asking price, we hear, was one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. OU didn't want to pay for Cam Newton. OU recruited him, and th- that was the price. And OU said, no, we don't need a quarterback for one hundred and eighty thousand dollars, which all was against the rules. <laughs> now is totally within the rules. Reggie Bush lost his Heisman. For taking scraps compared to what guys are getting today, scraps. What the oh, football's so stupid, isn't it? It's beautiful and glorious and stupid and miserable. The Caleb Williams penthouse, like <laughs> that being a thing, versus the Reggie book. I was just like, it. I I've been pretty much like, can we get the man his Heisman back for a long yes. time? Full disclosure: one of my best friends is a USC grad, so like I I have. It's been an awkward couple of years for me and him because I really like USC and, and spent a lot of time visiting him there and all that stuff. And now that's a big no-no with Oklahoma, all that mm-hmm. stuff. But uh, yeah, it it's just super ridiculous at this point. So and hey, history's repeating itself. Now OU doesn't want to pay for the big time transfers in the portal again. Who look at that? It all comes back around. Allegedly, I'm kidding. Whatever. Hey, you've got a Heisman vote now. You you need to get with your people at the Heisman and get that thing changed and get Reggie Bush's Heisman back. I'll uh, I'll pick up the phone and give them a call. I don't know if they'll uh, should I tag that. Never mind. Um, oh, it, don't do that. Uh, it's all weird. It's all weird going on. Uh, but yeah, college football. Welcome. You, real quick, not on the rundown. Who's gonna hate this? Sorry, uh, Zach Alley coming in. We've seen some of the kick on effect of Nick Saban. Retiring, Alabama moved quickly, got Kalen DeBoer. He's putting his staff together. But despite the fact that uh, Nick Saban waited and Alabama's Alabama, uh, you've seen a lot of reporting around SEC circles that Alabama almost had the Saban tax when it comes to NIL, that they didn't have to outbid everybody because they could say, we're going to get you close, but you're going to work with Coach Saban, and what's better than that? Now, all of a sudden, you're seeing there's a, a good number of guys really starting to flow into the portal off of Alabama's roster. Yeah. Bond, the wide receiver, already committed to Texas. He basically was like, yeah, Kalen DeBoer called, but I was thanks, but no thanks. I'm just going to go to Texas. think it's good for my NFL. Along the offensive line, Caden Proctor, who I don't think he was going to be a player for Proctor because they weren't really a serious contender for him, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. a year ago. I don't know what would have changed. 
But do, do you wonder if um, you, you look at maybe potentially some late portal additions? Maybe Oklahoma doesn't have to wait to the post-spring if they can pick off one yeah. guy from Alabama maybe? Yeah, for sure. Um, Alabama, I was going to mention that at some point. I'm glad you brought it up. Alabama has lost 25 transfers. Alabama has lost 25 transfers. And uh, five of their 20, I think 2024s, it might be 24s and 25s. But anyway, five, as of right now, five total decommitments. So, yeah, OU uh, has got their hat in their hand. They're standing outside waiting for an interview with some of these guys. Absolutely. Uh, Just like everybody else is. There's five stars that are in the portal. So, uh, I think uh, I think Oklahoma is going to ha- going to be in on some, uh, a couple here and there, um, but you know I wouldn't expect a, like an exodus to Norman or anything like that. But I think you're onto something. I think there's absolutely because um, once your head coach leaves, apparently you've got 30 days. You've got a new 30 day window to uh, announce your transfer portal destination, and I think Oklahoma is going to be uh, on the list of a lot of guys, a, a lot of those 25 that have transferred. And just from a no one cares about the woe is me NCA perspective, what a mess, man. Yeah. Alabama classes already started, I believe, or they're starting yep. this week. O- OU's first day of classes, supposed to be yesterday, Tuesday, but the snow knocked that out, so they're in class Wednesday. We talked so much about the calendar, it needs to change, all that stuff. Well, one of the issues with like moving the portal window around is we're kind of stuck in this spot. The reason why it kind of has to overlap with the playoff a little bit is because student athletes bunny ears right student athletes quotation marks all that um now that 30-day window's open anyone at alabama arizona or washington kind of your late or san jose state i guess for that matter your late portal or the late coaching carousel moves um i for me on a personal i just feel for the kids because like now you're having to deal with, okay, I need to make a business decision on the football side of things. And also, am I going to have to like withdraw from all my classes and then slide over? What is the – like, I'm sure that the schools are going to fix it up and all that. But just what a what an absolute ball of stress to add into the fact that you're making a very, very important football decision as well. Yeah, you mentioned the words business decision. Uh, it, it's, it's more business decision right now than it is anything else, uh, whether it's football, family – relationships everybody uses those words right but it's it's for 90 percent of these guys maybe 80 percent of these guys it's a business decision where is the best deal for me where who is going to provide for me after i get the best deal up front with the nil who's going to provide the best opportunity to make it to the nfl where i can make another business decision later in life so yeah that's what uh, that's what college football is um it's always been a feeder system but now they're not dressing it up behind academics anymore it's just straight here we can pay you this we can pay you that the collectives are uh, are in trouble i think um it's what it sounds like anyway you probably know more about that than me but sounds like the collectives might be um short timers <laughs> might be uh, against the rules at some point in the near future i don't know or at least have to change their bylaws to where they fit within whatever new rules are coming down the pike um and i i don't know Man, college football has changed so much. But how do you – you can't even begin to knock the players, Ryan, when you look around the, the the landscape and you see, okay, Nick Saban retires. Here comes a whole slate of coaches that are jumping ship. You know, um, I think Alabama went through, what would you say, 
four candidates before they landed on Kalen DeBoer? Maybe three? I'd say it, it probably looks like it went Lanning, Sark, DeBoer. So maybe three. He's probably their, their third, possibly fourth. But um, Washington goes through a couple, of, and then they land on Jed Fish. Here's Jed Fish, and just finished his third year at Arizona. Is that right? And has built the program up, took over a terrible team, a program in disarray. They got fiduciary problems and all kinds of problems there at Arizona. In comes this coach, hires him a real coaching staff, builds him up, takes him, beats Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl, and then he's gone. He's out. It's like, wait a minute. We just got started. So that's that's what college football is. Um, and people are coming down on the kids for, for you know, having their hand out in recruiting and NIL, and, and yet the, their head coaches are doing the exact same thing. So I didn't expect Fish to leave, did you? After being exposed to him a little bit down in San Antonio, I thought he was going to stick around. I, I thought he was too until – so hand up. I didn't know anything about the behind-the-scenes stuff at Arizona where they just had lost two – accounts of 200 million dollars like i don't know how an institution just doesn't know where has a shortfall of 200 mil then when you start to hear okay they had put a freeze on all athletic uh spending like they're finishing up the golf course that they were already too far into that construction project to reverse course but everything else has been frozen then you see the reporting that uh fish in arizona had been engaged in, in some sort of contract extension talks but it didn't sound like arizona was too serious about it then you pair that Washington's pretty desperate and comes in and lays the big chunk of change down. I mean, the stability of Washington compared to what looks like the behind the yeah. scenes of Arizona, I, I get it. Like, I, I totally get it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. From his perspective, looking around saying, what? We're doing what? No, I, I'm going to go take this Washington job. Especially from an NFL background. Like, Can you imagine yeah. like, hey, I've, I've been with NFL franchises, then like at Michigan, stuff like that. Then he gets to Arizona and he's like, so I finally have figured it out on the field, and you guys don't know where $200 million are. <laughs> Tell you what, we'll take a short break. Uh, the transfer portal is closed for now, but not really, if you follow my drift. Um, we're going to tell you how Oklahoma did and all the latest in the portal. Plus, the Board of Regents moving and shaking, making some decisions. That's all next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. All right, segment two, if you're on Twitter, follow us at all underscore Sooners. Follow me at John E. Hoover. Follow Ryan at underscore Ryan Chapman. We've also got Ross out there. He's just Ross Lovelace, and Randall is at Randall Sweet 5. He's got your recruiting 411 website is all sooners.com we are a fan nation affiliate part of the sports illustrated network remember all sooners is free no signups no emails no passwords no credit cards we don't have flash sales because we don't need them you guys come to us because we are free um what else you want to advertise with us here at this very spot we've got lots of options available and i promise you we're probably the uh, most affordable podcast advertising option out there for ou fans 
just send me an email, allsoonerssi at gmail.com. All right, segment two, Ryan. We touched on it just a tiny little bit, but uh, the Board of Regents. What is it? This is usually where you are advertising a bunch of stuff. Just, just we're going to talk about it, but just while we're up front here, be following us if you're a softball fan. There's a there. It's like a whole week of uh, right. there's just a bunch of we're just find a bunch of stuff into the so, to the uh, timeline here over the next week. So if but, you like softball, too. we've got more coming up at the end of the segment. Plus, uh, yeah, you're going to want to follow all Sooners because we shift from all Sooners to all softball. You know. You've been with us. You know. All right. Board of Regents met on Friday. Um, no surprises, I don't think. But um, just, you know, there, there was nothing like shocking or nothing revealing. But, but they handed out some dough on Friday, uh, trying to be competitive with other SEC staffs. I don't know where OU's coaching salary pool ranks i would think somewhere in the middle of the sec pack kind of like ou is ninth in um what is it ninth in like attendance capacity in the sec there's something like uh eighth or ninth in um fan donations or something like that revenue they're something like sixth or seventh so you know they're gonna have to do do more if if you want to win in the sec you're gonna have to do something special you're gonna have to bring in more fans, more revenue, more donations, and you're going to have to pay your coaches more. Uh, Ryan, let's start there. Yeah, you look at it too. Um, Seth Luttrell gets his first contract handed out there. That ended up being 1.1. You had that. You had Joe John Finley getting his raise. And so uh, when you add those together, it's basically a wash for Seth Luttrell and Joe John versus what Jeff Levy was making in that spot. You got a big, I think the biggest thing defensively was the title bump again for Jay Valai, as well as kind of some of the adjustments. But I, I think too, when you look at it, um, say if you had gone back two, three years where, where Lincoln Riley was still the head coach, a guy that's been to a couple of college football playoffs, multiple college football playoffs, Oakland would probably be way back up there right at the top in, in, as far as spending, at least at the head coach level and the DC level. But when you have a, a newer coach, it resets you. And then the second Brent Venables makes a college football playoff, boom, he's going to jump right into the top five in SEC salaries, all that stuff. But uh, you, you've seen a, a, a commitment to Oklahoma, not just the on-field assistants, the position coaches, the coordinators. Those salary pools are very large. Uh, that, that doesn't even go to talk about all the analysts and stuff that Oklahoma has, uh, support staff, everything like that. So per USA Today, uh, I'm looking at the the data that was published last year. Um, assistant coach-wise, Jeff Levy was the fifth highest paid assistant coach in the country. Garrett Riley was number one, offensive coordinator at Clemson. The uh, uh, <laughs> Alabama's new offensive coordinator, <clears throat> who was at Washington last year, was number two. And Jim Knowles, defensive coordinator at, at Ohio State via Oklahoma State, was number three. Uh, Georgia's DC was number four. Well, Jeff Levy was number five. So that tells you something right there. $1.9 million, a lot of money for, um, for an, for an assistant coach. And that's not just throwing it out there. That's literally a lot of money. Uh, Brent Venables per last year's numbers. I love this. I, I, I used to live on this list, this USA Today list that Steve Berkowitz puts out every year. Okay, you with me? Here we go. 
Brent Venables last year, $7.1 million a year. In my mind, which is aging faster than like the, the, um, everything is happening around it. Like the world is not spinning as fast as my mind right now. Right. In my mind, that should be like fourth or fifth in the country. $7.1 million should be like fourth, fifth, sixth, top seven for sure. Right. No, it's 17th in the nation. $7.1 million gets you 17th in the nation in 2023, 2024. That's unbelievable to me. Well, it, it's not even a true 17th because uh, schools like USC, yeah. uh, Baylor, TCU, Vanderbilt, any private institution, Miami, um, Stanford, not that all those schools would be at the top of this list, but certainly Lincoln Riley, it was rumored that he was making what, about 10 mil a year. Yep. Uh, and his contracts, all of that are schools that don't report so right. or don't have to report because they're private institutions. Yeah, no, you're right. So put Brent down in the 20 to 23, probably 24, 25, right? maybe 24. I'd maybe say probably 18 20. or 19. Uh, yeah, that's too right. You're right. That's too low. So I'd say probably 20. If you talk about, I mean, Dave Aranda's getting paid at, uh, at Baylor. Um, you're talking about USC for sure. So anyway. Irrelevant information. He's behind Mike Gundy, who got 7.6 last year. <laughs> I don't know how you fans feel about that. Wait, yes, I do. Uh, well, Brent Venable <laughs> should uh, have thrown his name into consideration for the Alabama job. That's how you get to that. That's mark. how you without, get raise after raise after raise. That's how you get to that, Mark, without after not after winning after. any trophy since 2011. That's how you do that's that right. right there. That's right. That's exactly right. Okay, so let's go through the numbers. You mentioned Seth Luttrell at $1.1 million, three-year contract through January 2027. So he's getting about 3.3, plus he's getting an extra, what's his bump, 50000 a year? I believe so, yes. Or is it 100 I believe he was on the 50000 I think it's fifty. Anyway, uh, it's a little over $3.5 million, I think, per year, 3.3-something uh, million. Anyway, I botched the numbers there. Uh, Joe John Finley got a big raise, you know, for $520,000 for, for your tight ends coach to $900,000 for your tight ends coach and co-offensive coordinator. You know Brent Venables is saying, Joe John, I need you to attend the offensive meeting and I need you to speak up and raise your hand and sit forward in the chair. You know, not that he wasn't. I'm not not in insinuating that. I'm just saying that for nine hundred grand, you're going to get a hell of a lot more than a tight ends coach. You also better get more than one functioning tight end, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it. that's the – Joe John wasn't probably going to be at the level uh, – because Seth Luttrell is the named play caller, right? So not yep. going to get that, but he's going to do a ton. And as we all know, all these guys are involved in special teams as well. Uh, but, yeah, Joe John, it, it's the – all right, that's not – that showed that Joe John Finley being the co-offensive coordinator was not just a title. Joe John will be heavily involved in the offense. Is probably the, the best way to put yeah. that. And he's a, listen, he's a smart coach. He's an extremely smart coach, son of a coach, uh, high school quarterback. So uh, he knows what he's doing. Uh, and he got a three year extension through 2020, January 2027. So 24, 25, 26. Most of the rest of the staff, Todd Bates also got three years uh, through January 27. Most of the rest of the staff got 26. So two year extensions. We'll go through them real quick. DeMarco Murray went from 500 to 575. Uh, Brandon Hall went from 350 to 500. Todd Bates went from 665 to 700. Bill Biedenboe went from 820 
to 870. That's a nice little raise. Uh, Miguel Chavis went from 600 to 650. Jay Valai went from 700 to 750. Emmett Jones went from 550 to 664. He got a really big raise because why? Because he'd been bringing in them recruits and he's been coaching up them wide receivers. Uh, probably the best, most surprising, most talented group of uh, position group on the field last year. And then Jerry Schmidt, Coach Schmidt, got his uh, got his first. I think it's his first contract action since he signed in January of December of twenty twenty one when Venables was hired. From 650 to 700. Uh, for some reason, his contract hasn't been renewed until Friday, and now it has, and he's good through January 26 as well. Your thoughts on the staff and uh, how they're going to pay those guys in relation to where that falls for um, in the SEC? Yeah, a lot of it is pretty standard, right? Your standard, just if you look across college football, your standard coordinator contract is usually a three year deal. Um, when it's initially handed out, your standard position coaches are usually a two-year deal, and then they, you extend just to stability, recruiting. It's, it's the same reason why your co- head coaching deals are always going to span more than five years so that a coach can say, I'm under contract for the entire time you're going to be in, on campus, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I, I just thought the thing that stood out is like you're never going to have assistants go down in money, but it was pretty clear that you're going to have the – it's not a cost-of-living adjustment because everyone's comfortable, but it's the cost-of-living – vis-a-vis the rest of college football adjustment. So you're very really going to have that go down. But you saw Oklahoma, when you have a guy like Emmett Jones come in and have a huge year, more than willing to say, we're not just going to give you the typical 25 or 50 or whatever. Like We are willing to come and shell it out to make sure that you're nice and happy and that uh, no one comes sniffing around for, for discontent, malcontent on the coaching staff. Looking at uh, the salaries going all the way down through the group of five assistant coaches, uh, the guy who ranks 692 in the nation in total salaries, 692, makes 200000 a year. That's the, I think, running backs coach at Memphis, makes 200000 a year. Uh, like I said, this has gone faster than my mind can keep up with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I don't know where Oklahoma, Oklahoma is about $7 million, I think in its co- assistant coach salary pool. I don't know where that fits in the, uh, in the um, SEC, but it doesn't uh, – it's not near the top. Put it that way. It's not near the top. And, again, it's a lot of uh, – it's a youthful staff, which means that you'll have less money when it's younger, generally. There are some exceptions. Jeff Levy, obviously, who we talked about, really young guy. And uh, it, it's a staff that – the offensive piece is a little bit different, but the second you make a college football playoff, all that's going to get boosted all the way up. And uh, Oklahoma will pay as long as the team oh, yeah. is winning. And it's just it, – it's the early stages, one of those things where uh, I, I would imagine that Bob Stoops' staff – I was not there for this, but uh, come uh, winter slash spring of 2021, oh, you want a national championship? Welcome to the top of the Big 12 or near the top of the Big 12 as far as it goes with uh, spending on, on staff salaries and all that fun stuff. Yeah, 2001, after the national title, right? Um, Yeah, and Lincoln Riley was able to get his uh, staff some very, very, very competitive money. Uh, Had some experience on that staff. Young is one thing, inexperience is another, and he's got some – Brent's still got some young coaches that – I mean, DeMarco just finished his fourth year. Um, Miguel Chavis finished his second year as a coach. So you're right, it's down there. It's going to be down there for those reasons. But when you start winning, when you go from 6-7 and and 10-3 and to – 
11 and 1, 12 and 0, something like that, make the playoff, win the SEC, then all of a sudden you're going to start to see stacks and stacks and stacks of cash flow in for those guys. So um, someone who I, I would presume is getting stacks of cash or at least maybe small stacks is Oklahoma's new backup quarterback. Casey Thompson, what? Yeah, we knew this was coming down the pike for kind of a long time, few few weeks at least. Casey, uh, of course, famously uh, the son of Charles Thompson, little brother of Kendall Thompson, both OU quarterbacks back in their heyday. Um, Casey's going to try and finish what his dad started back in 1986, 87. I think he came in as a true freshman in 87. Um, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, again, the years run together. But, yeah, it was back in the day uh, he replaced uh, Jamel Holloway when Jamel tore his ACL um, against Oklahoma State. And Charles Thompson, of course, got in trouble with the law, was on Sports Illustrated, orange prison jumpsuit, all that stuff went 17 months in prison and, you know, federal drug trafficking charges and all that stuff. And he's been extremely open about his story and his path and his journey and how he got here. Um, it wasn't easy for him, but I can tell you he's very proud of these two kids that he's raised. I mean, he's got another one, Cade. Uh, his daughter is a, a, a Thunder Girl, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Recently posted on Facebook, I think, about how proud he is of his daughter. He's got some very successful kids is what I'm getting at. And Casey, the quarterback, goes from Texas to Nebraska to Florida Atlantic to Oklahoma. Seven-year player in the NCAA. So congratulations to him. Congratulations to Charles and the whole family. They all get to put on their OU stuff now. They don't have to wear fake Texas stuff and fake Nebraska stuff. They can go to OU games and root for the Sooners like they've always done, like they've always wanted to do. It's uh... – it, it's been an insane – when Casey went from Texas to Nebraska, I was like – Charles had to be like, I'm very happy for you. I'm glad that you're, you know, writing your own story. But holy crap, could you have picked just a school that was meh to Oklahoma at that point? Not just not one – from one bitter rival to the other, but no. Miami. You didn't go to Miami? Yeah, it's just uh, – do you have anything else? Do, do, do you just want to work as a as an intern for Jimmy Johnson? Would, would you uh, do that? No, and so really cool for him. And then from the Oklahoma perspective, I, anyone that was like – Perfect. Confused with this or whatever, like take a step back. Without, with Davis Bevel heading out to South Carolina, mm-hmm. um, the backups would have been either General Booty, who's not really played for Oklahoma, or a pair of true freshmen and Michael Hawkins and Brennan Zerberg. Instead, you go from that situation to a guy who was willing to come and walk onto your team who knows that Jackson Arnold's the guy, who if Jackson Arnold breaks a chin strap and it takes two snaps to get him back on the field, he has starting experience at Texas. The pressure that is Texas, he is starting experience at Nebraska. He's got plenty of it. He's played in OU Texas. If Jackson Arnold needs to get even checked for a, a scab on his shin during OU Texas, you've got someone that's not going to be overawed by that environment, anything like that. Yep. If Jackson Arnold gets hurt, for an extended period of time, knock on wood, oh, you screwed anyway. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is, the backup quarterback is. So why not bring someone in with a ton of experience who's also going to help lead that room? I don't understand what the downside is from any front uh, when you look at it. It seems like the perfect situation for everyone. There's no downside. Anybody who says that there is is 
not being truthful with themselves or they're just an idiot and can't see the obvious truth. There's no downside to Casey Thompson being the backup quarterback at Oklahoma. He is the perfect backup quarterback. He's got DNA, OU DNA. He's got the legacy. He's got the heritage. He wants to be here. Okay. And then you throw on the fact that he started 30 some games. Uh, He was a starter at Texas. He was a starter at Nebraska. Uh, Texas wasn't great when he was starting, but there were, there was quarterback competition. They had a good offense. They put up big numbers. Uh, Nebraska wasn't great when he was starting at Nebraska. Nebraska hasn't been great for two decades almost. So, um, no, he's he's the perfect candidate. Just take yourself back to the Cotton Bowl 2022 and ask yourself, uh, what's your backup quarterback situation then? What's your backup quarterback situation now? Perfect, perfect candidate to come in and back up Jackson Arnold for one year. As a walk-on. And he's walking on. Again, the, the, like yeah. – not even taking a scholarship spot. Right. Yeah, people need to get a life and stop <laughs> complaining about everything. I, I don't understand that. I saw that and I was like, oh, my God, that's going to be perfect when he comes to Oklahoma. And you start seeing people, I don't want Casey Thompson. Like, why would you not want Casey Thompson? I, it makes Be truthful sense. with yourself and, ask, yeah. and tell us why would you not want Casey Thompson. Plus – I mean, just what a what a sports story. I mean, yeah, for us, well, self for us selfishly. I mean, come on. Yeah, Charles. Uh, Charles is so happy. We had a conversation when uh, when Casey committed to OU, and he's just he's just thrilled. Um, he said that those those years that uh, Casey was the starting quarterback at Texas, he wore Texas gear. Okay, this is a kid who grew up in Lawton, loved OU, loved Switzer. Went to OU, tried to transform the backfield as the next wishbone wizard quarterback. Didn't work out for him personally, obviously. But he's never, he came back to Oklahoma, right? His home state. He's always cheered for OU. He goes to OU. He speaks to the team as a motivational speaker, right? And he said, Here I was wearing Texas stuff. He said, Most of it was all gas, no brakes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which is hilarious. But, um, he said it was always black with the, uh, you know, burnt orange writing or white with burnt orange writing. He said he, he did not want to be photographed in burnt orange, wearing burnt orange. <laughs> and when, uh, Casey, well, when Casey left Texas, he said, I threw all that stuff out and gave it to some friends, whatever, anybody who wanted it could have it. So <laughs> I thought that was hilarious that he's like, now that my son doesn't play for Texas anymore, I can go back to hating Texas. That was awesome. Yeah, he's like I can. Uh, he he. They had that really fun college game day feature too of him just being like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll wear it for Casey." Now he's like, "Don't have to wear it for him anymore." <laughs> exactly. Um, and then he went to Nebraska, and I guess he did the same thing. I mean, that's the thing: Nebraska and Texas, totally different sides of the scale in terms of uh, what uh, what fans and players and coaches and whatnot think about those guys. Nebraska doesn't do like dirty recruiting against OU. So the coaches don't hate Nebraska's coaching staff. Like they hate Texas coaching staff. You can also Uh, do the layup. You can just wear some old big eight merch. Like if you really wanted to, you could be like, I am here supporting my son and Nebraska kind of, but also kind of not. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Um, any other surprises in the transfer portal? We talked last week about the guys that we thought were going to land, uh, make an impact, I should say, in the transfer portal. Uh, any other surprises when you look at some of the names 
Um, Caden Wooler, for instance, Michael Tarquin, we still, I don't think have received formal official. Uh, is he like enrolled? He wasn't, he, he was in the system. He was in the student portal, but I don't know what his status is. Uh, and then there's a couple other guys as well that look like they could have a bright future at OU. Yeah. It's just uh, outside of some of the names that you didn't ex- like, we, we talked about the names coming in. Not really anything from here. feels like it's the roster distribution of, of how many guys you thought at each position makes a lot of sense. And and so uh, I think the, the biggest thing might've been, I didn't have clocked going into portal season that Oklahoma would pick up a non-scholarship quarterback with all that experience or a non-scholarship in, in uh, Jocelyn, Alaska corner. Um, but it, it just shows you that Oklahoma, what they're able to do with NIL doesn't have to necessarily be a scholarship player to come and improve the roster. And I just thought it was pretty smart stuff at a couple of positions of need. We, we've talked about it, that, you know, look at the corner, especially tight end. OU's like, wow, we had some real injury issues last year that put us up a creek. We're going to almost overcompensate and make sure that there is no way you would hope that you get that in, in a bind due to injury. And, and they've done a nice job of rounding it out. Uh, considering the hand that they were dealt with, with some of the unexpected departures, <coughs> Caden Green. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. We'll finish this segment with this, Ryan. And uh, it's it's about another quarterback, another former Oklahoma quarterback, Caleb Williams. Um, a lot of people don't care for Caleb Williams, but a lot of people are saying, "Damn, we wish he would have stayed." Right? Uh, supremely talented. Whatever you want to say about his internal makeup is fine too it's your opinion but supremely talented going to be the number one pick in the draft uh won the heisman 2022 he signed off as a trojan by declaring for the nfl draft and saying i want to thank sooner nation for embracing a kid who came to you from washington dc i cherished my time at ou to my trojan family it's been an honor putting on the cardinal gold these last two years i hope i gave you many good memories as you've given to me blah 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 no matter what lies ahead, I will fight on forever and rep horns down for life. He said those words in his goodbye tweet, Instagram, whatever. Horns down, number four, life. I think the dude, I think he hit all the right notes. I think he endeared himself one last time to OU fans who absolutely loved him when he committed, when he signed, when he played, and then right up until the time that he left that uh, press conference at the Alamo Dome. Um, I think OU fans were team Caleb all the way. He leaves, joins uh, Lincoln Riley, and less so, right? But what a what an exit to say horns down for life. Yeah, I, I think there's less venom toward Caleb, too, because I think there's more of an understanding of you felt betrayed by Lincoln Riley, but the, the you commit to the program thing is great for in-state kids. You don't commit to the program. You commit to the coach. Just yeah. look at Alabama. Who did those kids commit to? Nick Saban. Where are they? In the transfer portal. If it's happening to Alabama, it's going to happen everywhere, obviously. And I think that a lot of people realize Caleb Williams came to Oklahoma. Why? Because he wanted to work with Lincoln Riley, the quarterback factory. While he he enjoyed his time at Oklahoma, when Lincoln left, he was going to work with Lincoln Riley, the, the quarterback factory. And I think as time goes on um, – it may not be a beloved thing. And I wouldn't expect that as a guy that just spent one year as a true freshman and, and gave you one of the all time OU Texas moments, but ultimately didn't even play for a big 12 championship. I think that that will be his place in Oklahoma history is that he delivered an iconic 
OU Texas victory. Yep. One that uh, now will be in a weird way rehashed because the other quarterback in that game is now on Oklahoma's roster. <laughs> Casey right. Thompson. Red River rivalry just gets weirder and weirder. It does. It does indeed. All right. We said we were going to get out of here in an hour. We failed at that, um, at that objective, but we, we got to get to some basketball. Uh, and then I want you to pitch your softball before we sign off in segment two uh, basketball. 13 and three, hell of a season, hell of a start. Oh, oh, and two last week. What? Oh, they only dropped six spots in the AP poll because the Big 12 is a freaking meat grinder for visiting teams. Everybody beats everybody else. I don't care what your ranking is. Uh, but yeah, OU loses to T- at TCU and at Kansas. Um, both, I thought they were competitive in both games, but clearly short in the Kansas game, literally short uh, points in the paint. Kansas sets a school record for fewest turnovers in program history. Two turnovers? Uh, ridiculous that Kansas can play one of its best, most efficient games in the history of the program, and it happens to be the last time Oklahoma gets a shot at winning at Fog Island. You were there. You were at the Fog. Uh, not your first time. Is that right? You went last year. Trip two. Two years ago. Yeah, two years Jordan ago. Jordan so, uh, Your thoughts on OU's finish, less than fabulous finish at the Fog. Yeah, I mean, you just looked at it, and it was, I thought, like a minor miracle that Oklahoma was in the basketball game. They get off to that 12, Kansas starts the game on a 12-4 run, and we're all looking around like, well, let's just sink it in and enjoy our last trip to the fog because there won't be anything you have to worry about here. And then the Sooners come storming back, take a lead, and kind of go blow for blow and are up right out of the break. And then you just saw Porter Moser talked about after the game, but they didn't have enough stops, as evidenced by the fact that they only forced two turnovers. And when they didn't have the stops defensively, it put so much pressure on Oklahoma's offense, which is more athletic and I think better this year. But if Latre Darthard and Rivaldo Suarez are going to make no threes on the road, you saw that both in Fort Worth and in Lawrence, yep. then it really puts so much stress on Javian McCollum, on Milos Uzan, on Otega Owen. You look at Sam Godwin and John Hughley, I, they are battling on both ends of the floor, and they're going to end up in foul trouble a lot this year just because as good as they've been, especially rebounding, they are undersized, and, and the biggest guy that you're going to play against is Hunter Dickinson, right? And he, He's just not just size. He's talent. He's what he can do, passing, scoring, all that stuff. So uh, one of those things that you hope you get them back when, when they come to Norman, uh, if you're Oklahoma, once you get Kansas onto the road. But, yeah, you look across – that TCU team they lost to in the middle of last week when they had so many turnovers. I mean, you look at the first half of that game, TCU scored 40 points in the first half. 20 were off turnovers. 11 were from the free throw line. You're not going to beat anybody on the road if you put them on the line and turn the ball over like that. And so good news. Oh, you didn't turn the ball over as much in Lawrence. Bad news. Didn't get any stops. So that's kind of what Porter Moser talked about. They'll play West Virginia tonight if you're listening to this on Wednesday or in the past they have played West Virginia uh, if you listen to this on Thursday or later. And, and Porter talked about, like, it's got to start with the defense. They've got to get back to being a team that is so locked in defensively. Even when the offense wasn't churning in the last two years, that's what they were. And he also talked about, too, if you're active, getting those deflections, stuff like that, that in the non-conference slate is how they were able to get out and run in transition and make those easy buckets and make life really easy. That only happens if you're getting not just stops, but live ball stops. And uh, that's just not something that happened in Lawrence. So you look at what Kansas did. They went to Stillwater, a place where they have struggled and absolutely shredded the Cowboys. So 
they're playing some of the most efficient basketball that they've played. And after the game, Bill Self was like, yeah, that was the best game. The OU game, that is. The best game we've played since UConn. They probably played better than uh, they played against UConn when you talk about just taking care of the basketball. And I think the fact of the matter is, Nobody was probably winning in the fog on that day. And for Oklahoma fans, they're just going to probably have to live with the fact that they literally went the entire Big 12 stretch without winning in Lawrence on the basketball floor. Yep. Tragic. Um, I think I saw last night uh, a tweet that uh, it was Oklahoma's fourth largest blowout loss in a home conference game. 24 points to the Jayhawks last night. Um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State said it. Yeah, Oklahoma State. I don't, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Oklahoma State's uh, loss to, to Kansas. Uh, TCU lost. Um, they they t- take down two ranked teams in Fort Worth, and then they go on the road to Cincinnati, who's not ranked, and lose to Cincinnati. Uh, so that's where Oklahoma is on Saturday is at Cincinnati. So OU needs to win tonight. They need to keep that Big 12 home meat grinder chainsaw thing going tonight against West Virginia when, they, when Mountaineers come to Norman. If they don't, they got to go to Cincinnati next. And um, – this whole conference is just crazy. Just crazy good, right? Houston, a legitimate yeah. Final Four contender, that kind of caliber team, on the road at Ames, L, on the road in Fort Worth, L. It's it's not just an Oklahoma thing. So if you're just locking into OU basketball just now, you see two losses and you're like, same old, same old, trust us. It's not the same old, same old. This is just the league. Yeah, that's the way the Big 12 is today. All right, um, softball season is now three weeks away. Uh, you have uh, you've put together an amazing preseason package, just previewing the the, the team. It's going to pop tomorrow morning, I think, somewhere around there. Somewhere in there, I, probably noonish. I, I think uh, is the stated goal. But yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked. I, I was talking with Hoove all the way back. Oh, I think this was. Uh, I think I was bugging the hell out of him after OU played West Virginia when we were up in the uh, TV booth up top. And Hooves like, does your mind ever stop working? And I was like, no, you hired me. Like, neither of ours yeah. does. But uh, coming this this spring, uh, we're going to have the All Sooners softball show. It'll be me hanging out. I've got plenty of friends, as you know. If you follow my uh, radio hijinks that I get into, I have plenty of friends in the softball world who – I hope we'll chip in from time to time, but it's going to be a two-episode-a-week situation. On Tuesdays, I'll be recapping everything that happened from whatever weekend's games that was going down. On Thursdays, I'll be previewing the week ahead. Typically, in years past, we've talked with Patty Gasso and the team on Wednesdays, so in between the review and and preview, should be able to work in plenty of quotes from the players and and Coach Gasso and all that stuff, and... uh, I'm excited to, to run that. We're going to put out the season preview video tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, there won't be another one unless Media Day is just overflowing with content, probably until game week, but give you a little bit of time. Uh, also gives me some time to work out all the bugs, all that fun stuff, but give you a little bit of time. And then uh, once game week hits, two a week from now through the end of the Women's College World Series, the, uh, the all Senior softball show. So whether you're – if you're a Twitter person specifically, just follow us, all underscore Sooners, underscore Ryan Chapman. All that stuff will be launched out there. I'm going to post all of it on the website, so you can just go to allsooners.com. If you're trying to sift out, just hit the softball tab. It'll be up there, and then we'll obviously have it on YouTube. So John Hoover Media on YouTube. That's where that will live for the most part, as it's all video content. But uh, I'm really excited about it. Like I said, shot the first one yesterday, sent it over to Hoove. 
Hopefully he liked it. Uh, all that stuff. And uh, there's a there's a very special guest at the end. So anyone who wants to see the goodest <laughs> podcaster in all of podcasting, Scout the Dog has not made an appearance on the All Sooners podcast because she usually is laying down on the couch for the entire th- – like she's in front of me right now. Lays down, unbothered, an hour, hour and a half, never gets up. I record this video. I think it ended up being like 17 and a half minutes. And by the end of it, Scout's like, hello, this is not the day that you usually do. What is happening? And she's just over here somewhere. (laughs) HR has not approved this podcast. Mr. Ryan, you need to get down here and pet me right now. Yes, exactly. So it should be fun. The All Sooners softball show. Makes her All Sooners debut, and it's pretty cute. She does. She does indeed. And I, I was just trying to hold it together. I was like, Scout, I'm literally just trying to chuck our socials. And I'm sitting here just like, is she on camera? Can you hear her shake it? There's a moment where you hear her call and I'm just like, yeah. nice. <laughs> it's good stuff. I'm looking forward to uh, softball. Ryan says days off are overrated and he is uh, probably going to take some time off in June and July. That's that's what it looks like. We'll, looks we'll like get him some that. days off. Well, don't don't worry, folks. We'll get him some days off. <laughs> looks like the Bonner trip is happening. We can just produce on the fly. It looks like Bonner is happening. So it <laughs> might rope in some fellow beat writers as well. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what's available. Yep, that sounds fun. Hey, man, thanks a lot. Appreciate you as always. Absolutely. We'll see you. Coming up next, Camp Randall is on his way in. We're going to talk about OU's big junior day coming up, plus what's ahead on the camp circuit. Seven on sevens, combines, all that good stuff, plus any possible movement might be headed to Norman. We'll tell you all about it next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. final segment of the all sooners podcast this is where i remind you if you like the podcast drop us a rating five stars is always the best really helps uh like us and share us on social media and if you're watching on youtube share subscribe like mash that like button leave us a comment do all that stuff that you know how to do because it helps us get the word out about our podcast helps our podcast grow and that helps you the listener so and viewer uh, and again, quick reminder, if you want to advertise with us, just drop me an email, allsoonerssi at gmail.com, or just DM me at Johnny Hoover on Twitter. My DMs are open, slide on in there. Uh, a quick reminder as well, we started a new series last week at allsooners.com, Position Report Cards. We're recapping the 2023 season, and frankly, I'm coming up with some stuff as I go back and look. You know, everybody, I think everybody got three. We got 12 total positions, including coaches. And uh, as we go back and look, recast some stats and, and look at how just certain people did in certain games, all of a sudden it's like, hey, the running backs were better this year than I thought they were. Mm-hmm. I came into that thing thinking running backs get a C minus, maybe a C. After looking at the season, breaking it down game by game, player by player, I was like, actually, the running backs did pretty good. I'm going to give them a B minus. So 
there's some things that we came up with in this series that you're going to want to look at. So check it out at the uh, the report cards. A new one every day at allsooners.com. Randall? I think I wrote my most harsh for the okay. report card series. Yeah, jump in there. What uh, What do you think? The The report card series? Is that what you were saying? Yeah. I, uh, I think it's been a lot of fun. Like you mentioned, it's been great to kind of like go back and look at the stats now that we're removed from the season to just kind of, you know, Take it, take an, um, a bird's eye view of it, see the whole season. Um, and then, yeah, like I was saying, I think that I uh, probably wrote the harshest story I've written yet as a journalist uh, uh, in our tight end report card um, piece, which, again, if you watched OU this year, you probably understand why that was uh, one of our lowest grades. But go check it out to see uh, kind of the nitty gritty. Even looking at that, I was kind of intrigued as to how some of those um, tight ends who didn't play as many snaps on OU's roster did because those are going to be the guys that are coming back next year uh, that we might see in the future. But I think it's, I think it's been really interesting to kind of um, look at, uh, you know, we see, we watch it uh, live every day or every, yeah, every day really for our jobs. But it's interesting to see how other people who aren't, um, who aren't looking at it the same way that we are uh, uh, view the, view the results. You guys, I don't know if Randall knows this, but uh, I don't know how closely he looks at my edits on his stories. Um, obviously I'm the publisher. I have the final say. And so I have to go in and proofread and edit things. I had, to, I had to rein in some of what Randall, some of the thunder that Randall brought down from Mount, Mount Olympus on the tight ends. I had to rein it in a little bit. Randall, let's try to be a little nicer. He, he's right. He was coming in strong on the tight ends. Yeah. I, I, I did definitely notice that the headline had a change, but that was probably for the better. <laughs> for the better. <laughs> Randall's got anger issues coming out of the 23 season, man. It, Not it, really, but just for the, for the tight ends, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. You know, every other position I think I'm, uh, I've am i got a good relationship with. But, you know, tight ends, maybe, maybe after the Oklahoma State game, that was when I burned my bridges with the o, OU tight end group saying uh, what I said in the post-game show. That was bad. All <laughs> right, let's move, on to, let's move on to quarterbacks. Ryan and I talked about uh, OU quarterbacks uh, present – and and future, um, past, present, and future. Actually, we talked about Caleb Williams. We talked about uh, Casey Thompson. Let's talk about another one from the past. Let's talk about Baker Mayfield. We couldn't get that in the first two segments. Baker Mayfield with the playoff victory. He um, played great. Yeah. In that game against the Eagles, the uh, defending NFC champs, Super Bowl favorites, started out ten and one. Uh, they find themselves on the road. Jalen Hurts bringing his uh, merry band of Eagles to uh, Tampa. And Baker just obliterated him. Baker played great. Um, I couldn't believe it. At halftime, the Buccaneers wide receivers core had six drops. Anyway, Baker finished. Uh, obviously, with six drops, you're going to finish well below your, you know, your target of 65, 68, 70%, whatever. He finished well below that, but he still had 331 yards. They would have scored 50, and he would have had 400 yards if his receivers would have just caught half of those drops. So big, huge, stinking, honking day for ba- Baker Mayfield um, in the NFL playoffs. And he now has twice as many wins in his career as the Cleveland Browns have in the last 25 years. And he he owns one of those wins from the Browns. <laughs> what a performance. 
Yeah, you know, you have to be happy for a guy like Baker, who just last year was being traded from multiple teams, you know, the Browns, the Panthers, you know, ended up after being, I think he was cut, you know, and then ended up in the in Los Angeles after two days where he was able to, you know, kind of show some flashes there. But to get the full offseason and to, to get, you know, this whole season for Baker, which there were definitely ups and downs, you know, at the beginning of the season, Tampa looked pretty strong. They had a, a rough middle patch and then they really got hot at the end of the year. And again, have to be happy for a guy like Baker who's had to overcome so much in his career, in his NFL career, in his college career. And it seems like at every level, whatever obstacles are in his way, he finds some way to overcome it and make a lot of fans along the way. Uh, it looks like he's having a lot of fun in Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, I think after the last touchdown that he threw, they, you know, he's running down the field doing the, the arm thing that he did at OU. You could tell he was having fun. And I mean, that that really helps Baker. I mean, it helps anyone, you know, especially at the quarterback position. You're having fun. You're playing with confidence. Um, it's an easy way, or not an easy way, but it's a, it's when when things are going well, it's an easy sign, uh, you know, when you see a guy smiling out, out there like that on the field. But even even if uh, some of his detractors will say, well, he was just putting the ball in the right spots, the receivers were making plays. That's st- in playoff football, you got to do what you got to do. You can only put the ball where it needs to go. And again, he did that. Uh, you mentioned the yards. I think he had three touchdowns and no interceptions as well. So um, really efficient game. You know, some sometimes in his NFL career, he's had trouble turning the ball over. But that was not the case against the Eagles, which, like you said, was a team that went to the Super Bowl last year. Uh, and so even though the Eagles are not the same team that we remember from last year, it's still really impressive. Like you mentioned, Baker's second playoff win, which is really cool. Second with two different teams. Uh, not too many quarterbacks in the league have uh, have done that. So um you have to think that adding that chip onto Baker's shoulder, that definitely motivated him. You know, after all the the trash that people talked, after getting traded multiple times, getting cut, um, you know, what people said about him coming into the season. People, I mean, people were saying that it was a battle between him and Trask, that that the Bucks yeah. were going to tank and they were going to be terrible this year. And, you, I mean, OU fans, OU observers who have seen Baker, who know Baker, that just motivates him, at least from the outside, it seems like it does. And it always has whenever he was at OU, um, you know, now – for the Bucks, and I think that um, you know the Lions have come out and kind of already poked the bear a little bit. It'll be interesting to see if uh, the chip on his shoulder continues to grow. If he uses that as momentum, that bulletin board material heading into the divisional round against Jared Goff and the Lions. Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, he's going to get paid. Um, he got the one million dollar bonus for getting the team to the playoffs, and I can't remember what his bonus was four hundred thousand, four sixty, something like that, for winning the playoff game. Uh, so that's awesome because why? Because he's got a baby on the way. Don't forget the offseason or the, the the news that broke during the season. Him and Emily have a baby on the way, so that's cool. Uh, the other thing is, you guys know me, the uh, the Rams fan for life going back to the early 70s, early 70s. So that one little, split, one little sliver of time when Baker Mayfield, guy covered for three years at OU, a uh, guy who came up and gave me a bro hug at a wedding that he was at a couple of uh, years ago. Like, I totally didn't expect that. He's like, hey, how you doing? I was like, okay, so Baker remembers me. That's cool. Um, to have him quarterback your football team, quarterback my Rams for a brief amount of time, come in on a Thursday night. Remember, he was traded on a Tuesday from the Panthers, came in on a Thursday night. Well, he came in on Tuesday night, uh, learned the playbook one day, went to bed, woke up. Thursday night kickoff leads the team back uh, with an incredible, like a 95 yard touchdown drive in the final minute with no timeouts. That was one of the the all time favorite moments in, in me being a Rams fan was watching Baker do that. So 
I'll be team Baker uh, from this point forward, especially because the team that beat the Rams has got last week has got him this week, the Detroit Lions. So yeah, go Baker, go up there and beat Jared Goff. Uh, it's pretty exciting. Pretty ex- the the fan base is galvanized again. And and you know, I talked to Baker when when I went to his his event in Norman over the summer. Yeah. Um, actually, we actually talked to Baker. They're not just me, but a few other reporters too. But he kind of talked about getting. Um, getting in rhythm with the team and, and, you know, kind of learning the playbook and some of his receivers and things like that. And I remember thinking in the moment, like, okay, that's great, but we'll see how this season goes. You know, it's just cool that he has the opportunity to be on a team again. And I think back to that moment in, what was it, July when it was ridiculously hot outside. Now it's January and it's the complete opposite. It's like zero degrees outside. Uh, and Baker, I did not expect him to be leading a 10-win team that's won a playoff game over the defending NFC champions. So, uh, congratulations to Baker. It's great for him. And I, I have a pretty cool Baker Mayfield story, too. You mentioned that he came up and hugged you at a wedding. Whenever I was 15 years old, 14 years old, sorry, 14 years old, I met Baker Mayfield when he was a quarterback at Texas Tech University. And I was able to take a picture with him. And I uh, I actually showed him that photo. I said, hey, do you remember this by chance? And he kind of laughed and he said, no, but well, someday we'll, we'll make sure to recreate that. <laughs> no, I don't remember that. I've taken about six million photos in my life. I'm sorry. And it was about it was about nine years ago. So well, we yeah. for forgetting that one. Yeah, we're going on ten years since Baker was at uh, since Baker came to Oklahoma. Yeah. That was 2013. I'll never forget my high school coach, uh, my middle school coach. He said, "Do you think Baker's ever going to play at OU?" I was in eighth grade. So do you think Baker's ever going to play at OU? And I said, nah, "I think he'll. I think he'll. I think he'll win the starting job." Yeah, and he said, nah, "I don't think so." That's funny. See how that yeah. he's been doubted since he was in high school, man, since he was a little skinny, undersized kid and, and nobody thought he could do it. He's just competitive. He's just super, super competitive. So yeah, yeah so he is. Him, uh, strutting around an NFL stadium on a Monday night football with Troy Aikman and Joe Buck and, you know, that whole scene. And he's out there leading his team to a playoff victory. That's a cool feeling, I'm sure, for a lot of people around here. I think it's a pretty good lesson, too, when you really think about it, that, you know, even if you are doubted all the time, like you said, high school, college, now the NFL. Even if you are doubted, you don't have to, you know, curl up into a ball and just deal with that. You can use that as motivation, take that and say, no, I'm going to go prove these people wrong because I'm confident in who I am. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, definitely the poster child for that. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk some recruiting. Uh, we looked it up. The, the 24 class is pretty much closed. Um, there's there's going to be some guys. I think maybe is it – are they Oklahoma expecting one guy to to sign in February? If uh, that – Yeah, I don't even. I, I think that um, the one name which we can do, uh, go out and say it they were still fighting for was Don McKinley. Um, yeah. I talked to him at the Under Armour All American game or practices um, before uh, before the game, and he, and uh, he he kind of said that. Uh, well, he mentioned uh, Tennessee and LSU. Uh, didn't mention OU. I kind of had to draw it out of him, and he said, "Oh yeah, they've they've been talking to me. They came and they did an in home visit and stuff." Well, a few days later, he committed to LSU. So. Yeah. Uh, OU fans, that name is off the board. I think that um, the kid from Louisiana who's committed to LSU is probably going to stay pretty solid there. Um, I think Dalen Evans is probably going to stay pretty solid at Texas A&M, and I think that that's really going to round out OU's uh, efforts in the 24 class, unless there's someone that's kind of off the radar right now. Okay. So the 2025 class is, it seems like when you look at it, okay, the 24s are signed, they're in. A lot of them are already started classes today, by the way. Um, you, you spin it forward to the 25 class. And the question I had for you was, hang on, I've not been keeping up. I've not been like immersing myself like I should. Who do they even have in the 25 class? And then I remembered, wait a minute. They got a bunch of dudes in the 2025 class. They got nine guys committed, Randall, in the 25 class. 
the rankings, the team rankings are all over the board. On three's got him at number nine. Twenty four seven Sports has him at number three, and then Rivals has him at number seven. But there's no doubt, um, nine dudes, January of twenty twenty four in the twenty twenty five class. That's a great start for this recruiting class. Absolutely, and you have to think about where OU was in the twenty twenty four class at this time last year. I think yeah. they had one, if any. I, I can't remember exactly when Jeremiah Newcomb committed, but. I think it was either at the end of January or even later. So at this point last year, they had zero commits in the upcoming recruiting class. And I think the 2024 class, I think many OU fans would still be pretty happy with how that turned out. Um, and so I think that that just has to give OU fans optimism about where this 2025 class is going, especially because in this 2025 class, you've already got your quarterback locked down. You don't need to, to worry about putting um, too much. I, I don't want to say you don't need to worry about putting effort forward there because obviously you still have to retain the guys that are committed. But it's not like you have to go out and recruit a whole new guy who doesn't know about the program. You've got a guy on board already who can help you recruit the rest of the guys in this class. And again, you're already doing pretty well in the skill position group where you've got three wide receivers committed around that quarterback. You've got an offensive lineman in there. You've got some defensive linemen. And so, so again, um, kind of the bones of this class, you, you've got a really good start. And it's all regional so far. A bunch of kids from Oklahoma and Texas, one kid from the state of Missouri. So all kids from this region, which is really interesting that uh, and I think it's a really smart way that OU kind of attacked it, starting out with the kids that are more local, uh, that are really a lot easier to access. And then as uh, once they've gotten those kids, the local kids, the kids that they know are from this region in that they want in the class, they can kind of expand and focus that um, attention more nationally on that 2025 class, start to get some of those big name guys from around the country. 2024, I'm sorry, 2025, um, you say the Missouri kid is uh, defensive tackle, Kamori Moore. Any yeah. thoughts, um, any fears on the part of OU fans, Sooner Nation, that they should have about him being a Lee Summit guy? I think that uh, I think that that's natural, of course, with what what we've seen with now Williams Winery and Caden Green both um, ending up at Missouri, especially after Caden Green went to OU. But um, for right now, I think that OU is still in a good spot with Kamori Moore. Um, from, from what I understand, I, I believe he's planning on being at the junior day um, that OU we'll talk about later in this podcast um, later this month. And so I think that as long as OU is still able to maintain that relationship and, and say, we still want you to be here, you know, we're not, um, we're not holding anything that happened with any of your teammates or former teammates against you. Uh, we yeah. still want you to be part of this class. And I, I don't think that that's changed. I think if you look at uh, his posts on social media, that's um, pretty, um, you, most people would agree with that. Now, uh, he definitely did make some posts supporting um, Caden Green, but I don't think that that's necessarily him wanting to jump ship to Missouri. I think that's just being a supportive former teammate. Um, those guys are friends. Uh, they practice against each other every day. So I don't think that there's too much to read into there, but I think that naturally um, the fear of him um, maybe ending up in Missouri uh, with the way that they've been recruiting, with the way that their NIL structure is, um, not only at the school, but in the state with the, the bills, that the, the laws that they have around NIL. Um, obviously it's going to be hard, and I don't think that OU is um, – done recruiting him, if that makes sense, because like he's, yeah. even though he is committed, um, Missouri is still going to be pulling at him, trying to get him to flip and things like that. Missouri was one of his offers, Kamori Moore's offers before he committed to OU. So I think that's a battle that the Sooners are still going to have to fight. But um, I, I think that right now they're still in a good spot if they are able to get him on campus later this month, which I believe is the plan. If that stays true, then I think that, that OU is still going to be in a good spot. You just got to keep that relationship, keep uh, him coming to campus. Um, and I think that that's all you can do right now, really. Let me just say, he was really outstanding down in San Antonio at the All-America Bowl. Uh, yeah. At the Combine, at the Junior yeah. Combine. So, yeah. 
um, winning one-on-ones and embarrassing offensive linemen and stuff like that. He was really good. So that's something to keep an eye on. He's a good player. You mentioned junior day. Um, let's go there. Uh, you've got a long, 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 long list. We're not going to give you every name, but we're going to give you some highlights of some guys that Oklahoma is shooting for, uh, rolling the dice for, however you want to say it. Yeah, so so I think the, the probably the highest-rated guy that uh, has confirmed that he'll be there so far is a, a receiver, which I know it's funny. I just said that they've got three receivers committed in this class. And if you've been following the podcast, you know they've been fighting for a, a couple other guys, Isaiah Mazid, Caden Ferguson. Well, here's another receiver, and even Andrew Marsh in that 25 class. Here's another receiver in the 2025 class that OU's fighting for, the highest-rated of them all, Caleb Cunningham. He's a five-star recruit. I think he's number 13 um, overall prospect in the country, so very, very talented player. He's from, you know, when I was originally doing my, starting to do my work on the class of 25 and just kind of learning about who the top kids were, I saw, wow, there's a five-star from Choctaw? Well, hmm. County, Georgia, for those of you who are unfamiliar, so that was a little um, misleading when I first saw it. I was uh, about to drop everything and drive uh, down the road to, to Choctaw, Oklahoma. Um, but, but yeah, so I think another kid from Georgia, which is where uh, this, you know, the Southeast, the staff has um, good ties in that part of the world. I mean, I know that people hear the state of Georgia and think that that's going to be a guy that ends up a bulldog, but I mean, Zion Raggins, that's a guy in the 2024 class that OU was able to pull away from his home state. He had an offer from Georgia. So uh, I don't think that it's obviously a done deal just because he's from, uh, the peach state, but I do think that, um, getting him on campus is a great sign. And I, I think that again, having a kid travel from uh, Choctaw County, Georgia, to Norman, Oklahoma for a junior day. I think that that shows that the Sooners are in a really, really good spot with him. And you have to think that um, three other receivers in this class are not going to scare away a guy who's already a five-star prospect. He probably knows what he's capable of and knows that um, he's going to have the ability to come in and, and compete with those guys. So I think that's one of the big names there. Another one that OU fans are probably more familiar with is uh, uh, Jonah uh, Williams from uh, Galveston. And uh, he is a, uh, an athlete. He's a, I think he's kind of a linebacker safety hybrid, but uh, at OU would probably play more of the safety kind of cheetah role, similar, similar in um, style to a, um, a Michael Boganowski, um, kind of in that he's that tweener size, about 6'2", 200, 210 pounds, where he can kind of do both. He's a great athlete, so he's got the versatility to kind of run all over the field and hit people as a linebacker or drop back into coverage, be a really good box safety type of role. Um, and that, that's a guy who who also um, is slated to be at, at Junior Day right now, um, as things stand. Um, sorry, I had to make sure I got the name right, because every time I hear Jonah Williams, I think of the former Alabama offensive lineman. So I just had to double check. But yes, Jonah Williams, Ball High School in Galveston, Texas, five-star recruit, linebacker safety hybrid. And that, that's a guy that I know uh, OU's been hot on the trail for. That's one of their main priorities in this 2025 class. He actually even wore OU gloves in a game this season, which – We've seen that with a number of recruits doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's not a bad sign. Uh, that's for certain. So uh, the fact that, that OU's kind of been involved there and now that they're getting them on campus, I think that that's a great sign for uh, Brent Venables, Brandon Hall, Jay Valai and company. Uh, we'll see what they're able to do with Jonah Williams. But I think that their outlook looks good there right now. Um, another guy I'll mention, Max Granville, uh, who actually included OU in his top 10 uh, in at the end of December. It's a guy from Fort Bend Christian Academy. So Anyone who knows where Fort Bend is, it's the Houston area, and another area that, that OU has always been really heavily involved with. Um, and this is a guy who, who's been to campus this fall, taken some visits. Uh, like I mentioned, he put OU in his top 10. Four-star recruit, kind of similar to the R. Mason Thomas mold, where he's not as, you know, he's not P.J. Adebuari, where he's 6'6", is, you know, super heavy. He's, 
He's a, he's about six three. He's a little lighter right now, but he's got a lot of speed off the edge. So again, similar to, to an R. Mason Thomas kind of player, four star recruit. Uh, I think he's a top hundred player in the country, depending on what sites you look at. So another guy that OU is really really making a priority in this twenty twenty five class. Um, and then and then you know I'll just toss in a few names there on the side. The Carl Albert kids uh, will of course be there. You'd expect that with them being just down the road. There's two commits in this twenty or three commits. I apologize from Carl Albert in this twenty twenty five class, and that would be. Uh, Kevin Sperry, Trinae Washington, and Marcus James. I would expect that all three of them are there. And their teammate, four-star cornerback Tristan Haynes. I would also expect that Tristan's going to be there. Now, uh, that's a guy that OU, again, has been really um, heavy involved, heavily involved with, uh, about a 6'2 corner, so long arms, a lot of speed, uh, kind of that J-Valai mold. I mean, really, you think about 6'2 corner with speed, that's kind of every cornerback coach's mold, right? Everyone wants guys like that. But uh, for him to be right there in OU's back, backyard, you know that's a guy that Jay Bly and company are going after. They offered him early. Uh, he's got offers from a lot of other top programs in the country. Texas A&M, Alabama's a big one there. So I know he's been to Tuscaloosa. I think that OU definitely leads in that recruitment, but I do think that um, it's going to be a fight till the end. I, I don't think that it's going to be anything easy. And I think that from, from what I was told, I think he wants to commit um, ahead of his senior year or around in his senior year. So OU still got, if that's true, Oh, you still got a few months before that that choice is made, but it seems like they're in a good spot now. They're able to get him on campus in January with a bunch of his teammates. It seems like that would be a huge step in the right direction. So that's OU Junior Day coming up January 27th. We're talking about those are all 2025s. Okay, so uh, so that's where that stands. January 27th, that's weekend after next. Um, you're going to be – sorry? And the, the recruiting process never ends. Yeah, no, it's a constant cycle, 12 months out of the year, 365 days. Um, you're going to be um, coming up. I'm trying to think. I'm getting my dates here. Uh, da, 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 so, uh, you're going to be coming up at a – I call him, you guys, Camp Randall. I came up with that nickname myself. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, I love uh, it. Wisconsin. Shout out, Madison. But, uh, yeah, no, Camp Randall because Randall loves going to these camps. And he's got some coming up. Uh, including uh, one in Dallas coming up with uh, one that has an OU commit, one that has an OU projected, and the other one has an OU target. Yeah. Um, so there's a the, the next level athlete showcase was just this past past weekend. Is this that's what you're? Uh... Oh, that's what. Yeah, that's in the past. Then that's right. It was just this weekend. Yeah. Um, I no worries. I I, I, caught, I caught your drift. Um, so yes, the um, the next level athlete showcase. I think it's called Showcase, was this weekend. Um, and Greg Powers, who does great work down at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. He, yeah, Greg's uh, a good Yes, yeah, absolutely he is. Shout out to Greg. Uh, but he uh, he organ- curated a list, invited uh, 100 of the top high school players of any class um, to the in high school players in Texas to this Next Level Athlete event um, where they were able to compete and they gave out MVP awards to each position group. Um, now, Owen Hollenbeck, who you know you mentioned this 2025 class, uh, he's actually committed to OU in the 2025 class. He's an, an offensive lineman from Melissa, so teammates with Nigel Smith. Uh, so, so that's pretty cool. But a guy who's committed to OU actually won the o- offensive line MVP and the overall MVP award at this event. So uh, he performed really well. I didn't I didn't um, get to see him perform firsthand, but uh, Greg Powers did an interview with him, said that he, he did great. And obviously, if you're winning overall MVP out of the top 100 high school players in Texas, you're doing pretty good. Um, and then also in that same camp, Malik Hawkins, the younger brother of Michael Hawkins, and of course the son of former OU defensive back, uh, Michael Hawkins Sr., uh, he actually won the defensive back MVP award at this camp. Now, this is, this is the guy who you mentioned um, projected to the Sooners. 
with his with his dad and his brother now both being Sooners, I think you have to expect that OU is going to um, have a good chance there. But of course, Texas is involved, some other big time programs. So uh, it's never a given, uh, especially, you know, against Texas, recruiting kids out of the, the Dallas area. But I think that OU um, is in a good spot there. He, uh, Malik is also going to be at, at OU's junior day uh, here in a few weeks. Was that two weeks now? So um, good sign. But yeah, he won the defensive back MVP award, which is very impressive. Obviously, there's five star defensive backs galore in Texas. So for him to come out on top there is pretty impressive. And then in the receiver MVP, a guy that um, who I, I've, I've been able to build a pretty good relationship with, Brock Boyd won the MVP there. Um, his dad actually reached out and, and told me that that he was named the the all the receiver MVP at the camp, which again, anyone who knows about Texas high school football, there is loads of talented receivers there. Even guys that you would have never heard of, I guarantee you there's some good players there. Um, and so for Brock Boyd, who's a, who just finished his sophomore season to take home the wide receiver MVP award, that's pretty impressive. Uh, this is a guy who was at the Brent Venables camp this summer, and he was a baller there, making one-handed catches. He's getting off, uh, you know, jams from press coverage. He actually beat Malik Hawkins in a few reps, one-on-one reps at the Brent Venables camp. So this is a guy who's who's a really talented player. Uh, he actually got his offer from Emmett Jones and Company at the Brent Venables camp. I was right there. I saw saw his mom uh, get real emotional when when the offer came. It seemed like his family was really happy. Uh, Brock's dad is actually the wide receivers coach at South Lake Carroll. So, you know, Brent Venables and company, they, any coach really loves a coach's kid, especially when he's that talented. It's not just like he's a, you're throwing him a bone. This is a, this is a guy who's a player. He's really good. His first offer was actually from Emmett Jones at Texas Tech whenever he was a freshman in high school or maybe even in eighth grade. So this is a guy who he's been on the radar for a long time. His older brother actually uh, committed to and played wide receiver at Texas Tech under Emmett Jones. I think he still is a wide receiver there, Brady Boyd. Um, and so so this is a guy who's got connections with Oklahoma. His oldest brother actually went to OU as a normal student, didn't play sports or anything, but was an OU student. So a family that's got ties to Oklahoma, seems like they've got a good relationship with the Sooners. And for him to win that wide receiver MVP, it's a great sign. Obviously, he's a, a budding budding star, a guy that OU really wants, but they're going to have to fight for him. It's early in his recruitment, and he's already getting a lot of offers. Now, Randall, in terms of 7v7s, um, we'll kind of rein it in a little bit on just what's what's out there, what's going to be happening, because they start this week. Yeah. January 20th, you told me there's one coming up in Dallas. There's another one January 27th, February 10th. Uh, there's a couple in in uh, here in my hometown, Broken Arrow, in, in March. Um, there's one in Durant in late March, and then there's they're going to finish up with some of the national ones in April. When you think seven v sevens, when you think these uh, the basically quarterback wide receiver camps, um, mm-hmm. you go out there, you interview kids, you build the relationships. What are you really looking for from whether it's you know Kevin Sperry, who I met last year, and then he committed to Oklahoma shortly after. Um, what are you looking for when you go out there with your camera and you're seeing these kids? What is it? What qualities are you trying to identify? Well, I think that, I mean, obviously the football quality. So, you know, you know, you mentioned quarterback, you want to see how the ball looks out of their hand. You know, you, you, you can look at stats and that won't tell the whole story, but you know, if you watch how the ball comes out of his hand, how, uh, you know, he's making decisions, how he's looking at defenders as from a quarterback's perspective, that that's all. Um, the football side of things, but I really think the body language, how these guys interact with their teammates, I think that's a key aspect of it too. Because if anyone who's got an offer from Oklahoma, I don't need to scout them. They're already a really good player, of course. OU's not going to offer just anybody. So they're really good players. But it's also interesting to see 
you know, these guys who are, you know, the top athletes in their region, in their city, whatever, how they interact with their teammates, how they interact with their coaches, with opponents, things like that. Because we know from covering the team and from being around Brent that he really cares about that stuff. That stuff matters to him and to this staff. Um, so I think that's a really interesting aspect of it, just to kind of see um, how they are as kids, really. I mean, you know, you see these guys in pads and stuff, but, you know, to, to, to take that away, to see the human aspect, that's really interesting because you don't see that as much, especially on the recruiting trail. It's more just about, hey, what schools are you interested in? Um, but, but, you know, on the football side of things, I think receivers, it, it's really interesting to kind of see the route running um, in this setting. Uh, there's a lot less pressure from quarterbacks or for quarter on quarterbacks. So if uh, if you're a wide receiver that dealt with a bad offensive line in your high school season, this is kind of a, an area where you can um, still shine, still do your thing. So guys like Elijah Thomas, who might not have the best um, talent surrounding them at a school like Shakota, Oklahoma, um, you know, to kind of get to see him play some of the top competition and get to see him play with a bunch of guys who are just as good as him on his team and against those guys. Um, to kind of see how he fares, things like that. And not not just him, but guys guys like that. Um, and so I think um, looking at these guys against co- top competition, how athletic they look, how they run routes, um, defensive backs, how if they're able to stick on, on a guy's hip without grabbing, being too physical, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's actually a lot you can take away from these 7v7s. People are, people are like not bought in yet, but there's uh, Oklahoma's 7v7 community is growing, growing, yep. growing. Last year, I met Jaden Nickens, and I walk, I came away thinking, "Oh my gosh, this kid's talented, just incredibly talented." And then, what does he do? He wins the state champ, or he wins the state semifinals uh, with a kickoff return, a, a walk off kickoff return. When you're that good, and you show it at a seven v seven, and you blow away somebody like, idiot like me, that means that the coaching staff already knows they put the offer out there. You know, it's it, it's not coincidence. The, yeah. the best players really show out at these things. It, you can put up a lot of big numbers um, being a, you know, six foot, 220 pound tight end, yep. uh, you know, slow white kid, whatever um, cliche you want to attach to it. You can put up big numbers, but if you can play football and if you've got athletic ability, you're going to shine in these 77s. It's going to, it's going to pop out. So that's why these coaches love these things. One guy, specifically one guy that I'm really interested to see kind of how it looks is Tristan Haynes. I mentioned him a little bit in the last um, segment, not segment, but uh, point that we yeah. talked about. This is a guy who hasn't, he, his, more of his experience is at wide receiver. He plays wide receiver for Carl Albert now. He does play corner, but he's, he's had a longer history at wide receiver. And this is a guy who his offers are all at defensive back because you see the length, you see the the size and, and the speed, and, and you kind of think about what the potential is there when you put him with a good defensive backs coach. But I'm really interested to see how he looks on an island having to guard some of these receivers when you know the ball is going to be coming at you. Because um, in the state championship, he had to guard um, Ladanian Field. So I don't know uh, if people are familiar, but that's a, a TCU commit at wide receiver. So a guy who's a uh, maybe he flipped Oklahoma State, but a, a Big 12 level player, very talented high school athlete, good, good player out of Dell City. And uh, he did give give um, Tristan some trouble. Um, and obviously Tristan won his reps too, but I, I just think it'll be interesting to see how he looks as a cornerback specifically, because we know he can do it at receiver. We know he's a good athlete, but I want to see some of those more uh, refined cornerback skills and see how he's coming along there. The uh, class of 2024 has reported they're in school right now. They're going through winter workouts. There's no practices yet, but uh, coaching stations will be coming up soon. Um, when they posted the photo at Headington Hall of the 20 football newcomers, there were two that were missing, two very high-profile kids that were missing, David Stone 
and Jaden Jackson. We're missing the uh, IMG defensive tackles. Yeah, how are we gonna? How, how's life gonna proceed without these dudes? Everything's copacetic. Everything's fine. They're in Hawaii right now at the Polynesian Bowl. I don't. I didn't know David Stone was Polynesian descent. Jaden yeah. Jackson obviously is. But uh, I think he got an invitation and uh, accepted a trip to Hawaii to go play D-tackle in the Polynesian Bowl. How cool would that be? Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Shout out to David Stone. Shout out to Jaden Jackson. I mean, think about these kids are from Indiana and Oklahoma. So no <laughs> against those two communities. But I think in this time of year, to be from those two communities and get to take a trip to Hawaii, anyone would sign up and say, heck yeah. yeah. So uh, congratulations to those two guys. Uh, the game will be actually on NFL Network. So any uh, All Sooners fans that are interested in uh, – tuning in and who have NFL Network, you'll get to see David Stone and Jaden Jackson play. I got to see J David Stone play in the uh, Under Armour All-American game. He was great there. I'm sure he'll be great in the Polynesian Bowl too. But yeah, I mean, what a cool opportunity for these kids to get to go play in Hawaii. Yeah, big time against some of the best. So uh, that's going to that's gonna raise their game. It's going to elevate their game. Yes, they're missing a week of school, but they'll be fine. They'll catch up very quickly. Um, Friday at 4 p.m. on NFL Network is when that game is. Randall, appreciate you, man. As always, good stuff. Yeah, thanks, Uvas. Great to be back. Yeah, and welcome back. <laughs> you were missed for an entire week. Um, <laughs> learned it. Uh, hey, thank you all for listening as well. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast, which you can always find on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're there. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all our shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.